Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Drag Time with Hectolina. It's me, Hectolina. Uh, I'm just here in the desert. Things are starting to kind of happen again and getting ready to start promoting Golden Girls Live. But right now, I'm just happily in the desert having a lazy Sunday. I'm talking to one of my favorite people. But first, I want to remind you to find us on TikTok. We can be found as Drag Time with Hectolina on TikTok. Thank you, Mark, for uh, getting that all set up. And if you want to give us a tip to help Mark keep the show going, we are on Drag Time on Venmo and Cash App. If you want to keep the uh, podcast going, send Mark a tip on Venmo or Cash App. Now, our very special guest is an artist, a teacher, definitely a poet, and an absolute original. I remember as a teenager when I first heard the song Never Say Never on the Icelandic radio, I I was like, who is this woman? She's had a prolific career as a solo artist, and she was the lead singer and lyricist for the new wave band Romeo Void. They had a top 40 hit in 1985 with A Girl in Trouble as a temporary thing and are probably best known, well, by me at least, for their song, Never Say Never, the one I just told you about. And it's been featured in everything from Gossip Girl to Wolf of Wall Street. Give it up, everybody, for Deborah Ayal. Hi, Deborah. Hey, how you doing, Heklina? Good. So we we were just talking before we started recording about um, that the last time we saw each other was at the stud. Yeah, I came up for a performance. I mean, I imagine I had other business in the Bay Area, but it was shortly after I moved from the desert, but I couldn't remember what year it is. Do you remember what year that is? I'm going to say 2002 or three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then I I lost touch. Actually, I tried to, uh, I tried to communicate with you with the old email that I had or the old phone number and I couldn't get a hold of you. And finally our friend Nimi got put us in touch with each other. Yeah, it's funny because I met her on Facebook and she just would say clever things. And I don't know, but we developed a friendship just from being kind of random friends on Facebook. And then I quit Facebook and she was on Instagram. So we stayed being friends there. And when she came to town, we met and went swimming together and went out to lunch and just oh, wow. had a great time. Yeah. She just said interesting things. And she, at one point, um, was sailing. And so I had sailed in my life. I owned a 26-foot junior clipper boat with my first husband, bass player, Paul Keister. Mm-hmm. And he, he's many other things besides a bass player. But <laughs> that's how I remember him. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, so let's start from the beginning, you know, like pretend (laughs) that we pretend, well, we don't have to start at the absolute beginning, (laughs) but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, about, uh, before Romeo Void. So you are a member of the Cowlitz Indian tribe. That's correct. And are they, they're indigenous to Washington state. Okay. Around Olympia. Okay. And sort of down even um, toward Oregon, Longview. Mm-hmm. That's where the tribal office is right now. Oh, wow. Uh, so St. Helens area, uh-huh. Mount St. Helens area. Okay. Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm, a, I'm one quarter Chippewa. My grandmother was full-blooded Chippewa. And they're indigenous to uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, area. But um, it says here that you, uh, as a teenager, you were a part of, I never knew this, you were a part of Occupy Alcatraz. Yeah, I was. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Well, I do have to say that, thank goodness, I'm pretty fearless and I'm very curious. And I had a mother who used to say, I raised you, so I have to trust you. Mm-hmm. So I would get interested in things. And like back in the day before the internet, you had to find publications. And there was a publications out of um, New England called Aquasasne Notes. That's how I pronounced it. That's probably not the right enunciation. And it was mostly Mohawk people, but they had articles from all around Indian country, very alternative Indian world rather than, you know, more of the Indian country today newspaper. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would read all about, you know, what was going on. And I found out about Alcatraz and at Christmas vacation, I asked my mom, can I go up and be part of the occupation? I was 16 and she, you know, encouraged me. Sure, you go right ahead. We packed a little backpack and I wore a hat and sturdy shoes and a couple of changes of clothes. And I took the Greyhound bus to San Francisco. And when I got there, I called the main office of the occupation because they had offices. Um, and they said, well, come on over and we'll get you on the next boat going over to the island. They welcomed me with open arms. And interesting enough, the next um, group of people that were going over was Russell Means and some of his friends or Mm -hmm. family. And we actually stopped at the hospital so he could visit his daughter who was in the hospital before we went down to the dock. And we went over on like a, I don't know, maybe a 12-foot skipper. I mean, I just remember hitting lots of waves. Terrifying, you know? yeah. How long did Occupy Alcatraz last? Over 18 months, I believe. Wow. Maybe even close to two years. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And a lot of the people from the, that are still around in the Bay Area, and um, there's like... Lawyers who were involved at that point, I'm struggling to remember the name of the lawyer group, but, you know, I'm sure you can look it up on Google (laughs) and and other Indians that I still know who participated in that. Can you tell people who may not know exactly what Occupy Alcatraz was? It was a movement to reclaim Indian land, correct? That's correct. And there Mm -hmm. is a law that any federal land that had been seized from native people and was not being used anymore would be ceded back to the natives and Uh so the natives at the time wanted to have a cultural center out there and you know various other goals also to just get um visibility in the bay area there's a ton of natives that came here to build the golden gate bridge Mm -hmm. steel workers were a big part of uh the Bay Area Indian population, Intertribal Friendship House was a real catalyst for all that stuff way in the 50s. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, the, but, you know, people are very unaware. Um, yeah, a lot of people, of yeah. Overlooked minorities. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> uh, true. And uh, so it was visibility and civil rights and just staking a claim for having a place in the world and a voice. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
Well, so then moving forward, you is it true that you got a fortune cookie at a street fair once that said, art is your fate, don't debate? Yes. I was at the um, uh, Indochina Peace Campaign booth at the, on the 4th of July in Eureka, California. And I had been working up in um, Trinidad, California and Eureka, California for different uh, Native American organizations. I was I work for the um, Indian Health Center up there, and I also worked at the Indian Action Council Preschool. Oh wow! So you, uh, so you started, so you went to art school after that, and many people, yeah. many people may not know, but that is where that's how Romeo Void was formed. Was that was that the uh, art, was it was at the San Francisco Art Institute? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was working over the summer. Um, running the video editing lab for the, at the time it was like called different genres, um, video production office. And I just learned very basic things about how to run video editing enough to get the job to run the lab and oversee other people. And, um, Frank Sinkavich, the bass player from Romeo Void was working on a big exhibit of Alice Acox in the gallery and it was a huge installation required weeks and weeks of you know labor to put it up and so during that time you know i'd start seeing him at lunch or whatever we started talking and he was like well i've got a drum machine and i play bass and i was like well i write poetry and i would love to do some collaboration so we actually did a little video together of me you know doing some reading and him playing bass and his drum machine. And then we felt pretty successful about what we came up with. And then we were like, well, maybe we should start a band. (laughs) And then how did that, how did that go from that to then performing? Okay. So there was a big punk rock scene in San Francisco. Uh, I I have friends like my friend, Timmy Spence, he was a big part of it. And uh, you know, he knows Jello Biafra. I think he might know you, but he, he was, we do. I, I was in, I was, one of his extras in new dance video. Oh my God. You were we in the new, new dance. dance video. Yes, new dance. yes, yes. Brand yeah. new dance. Yeah. Yeah. And Dor- Doris Fish. Oh, doing the brand new dance. Doing yeah. the brand new dance. Wow. That's amazing. You were in yeah, that. Yeah. And actually um, Doris and Tippy and Miss X did my makeup when um, Romeo Void opened at the Warfield for Jim Carroll on New Year's Eve. And it was a huge, you know, thing for us to play that big a venue opening, right. you know, for national artists. And so we dolled me all up with two wigs and eyelashes. And Oh, great. Um, I had like this weird little prom dress thing <laughs> that I wore. And yeah, it was wow. pretty exciting. So, okay, so let's let's talk about the genesis of how that started from the Art Institute. So, uh, you were at, did you were you also at the same time hanging out at these punk venues or? Uh, oh, absolutely! Uh-huh. Any kind of venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the and the parties at the um, American Can Company or just the different lofts that people had. The Mutants Loft, Loft the. First time the Go-Go's played in San Francisco, they had an after party at the Mutants Loft and Romeo Void got to play the after party. So that was like a huge, you know, oh, big excitement great. for us. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so when, 
how did you get a record deal and how did you guys come up with your singles? I mean, you, you, I have a bunch of questions about the singles. Do you still get royalties whenever it's covered by like Queens of the Stone Age or something like that? Yeah. That, that must be nice. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And, and a little bit of internet royalties. I mean, the, when, you know, Spotify and all the file sharing and all that happened that um, people who negotiated for songwriters did a terrible job of looking out for us. And our royalty rate is minuscule. Mm-hmm. You can get, you know, 800,000 plays and get a check for like $18. I mean, oh, God, <laughs> that's ridiculous. It is. But nonetheless, it does all add up when there's, mm-hmm. you know, all these different. So, yeah. And when my work gets featured, like A Girl in Trouble was featured on The Incredible Miss Myself. Mm-hmm. And then like Never Say Never was, like you said, in Wolf of Wall Street. It was also in um, um, the video game. Vice City, um, Grand Theft Auto Van. Oh, Vice yeah, City. yeah. Uh huh. And then also in a couple other movies, um, Dodgeball and the one with Aiden Quinn, oh. Reckless. Oh, uh huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's a neat story behind that because Aiden Quinn, it's a pivotal part of the movie when him, he takes, um, her to the prom and there's all these people dancing to this kind of horrible, very middle of the road kind of soul music of the time. And he goes over to the record player and scratches that record and puts on Romeo Boyd and starts dancing with her, gives her a black rose that he'd soaked in ink and um, they're dancing wildly. And he chose the song for the movie because he used to dance to it at clubs in Chicago all the time. Oh, wow. I, I mean, I, read about that scene and um I, I have to say when I first heard Never Say Never, I, I thought, oh my God, this is so daring. It just seems so different. You know what I mean? And uh that's and, and also and also a little bit a little bit racy, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So uh and so how I'm I'm gonna ask you a little bit about body image glee because you've talked a lot about how important it is for for people to love their bodies. Yeah. Was it was it did you ever get discriminated against when you when you oh performed God, on you stage? Kidding? Oh, all the time. All the time. And people would write really mean things in reviews, and especially when we would play, you know, outside of a Bay Area or outside of a big population center. Or even in Chicago, once we got this terrible review where every chance he could use um, an adjective to describe anything of size, he would, you know. Oh, just oh wow. Awful. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, but I always felt like the discrimination about my size transcended me just being a woman or being Native American, not being white, as far as how blatant and open it was. I mean, I, you know, boys driving by moo in the car and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Oh my God. And then, of I- course, the microaggressions. Yes. You know, can, can you speak about that? Well, like people saying, but you have such a pretty face, you know, oh, you know, things like that. <laughs> oh, I don't even think of you as fat. Oh my God. Like, yes. So that, I, yes. when I first heard people um, sort of embracing the word fat, I was like, yeah, I'm going with that. Because yeah, yeah. I had to make a resolve mm-hmm. as a very young person that I was not going to 
let other people define me for me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And that I can either just keep going or be beat down, and I just was not going to be beat down by it. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I still had all kinds of raw edges and chips on my shoulder, and you know, still do some areas. I'm sure mm-hmm. can't right now. But, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you you seem at a very at a very peaceful place in your life right now. But I want to ask you a little I, bit, moving away from the body image stuff. I mean, it had to have. affected you because i'm sure it happened people are so focused on image and look oh yeah well and like i would have you know i I was very um desirous young woman Mm -hmm. you know i started um my sexual escapades very early in life Mm -hmm. and it was the kind of thing where because of my size it would be like I was okay for a one night stand or maybe quietly where no one knew, but wasn't anybody's girlfriend that went on for many years. You know, I I heard that mama Cass went through a lot of the same stuff. Like she got all this love, but she was never, you know what I mean? I couldn't be the treasured object. Yeah. Yeah. As an object, I was considered very, yeah. Not desirable. Well, yeah, not I mean not fitting society's norms. But um but, but tell I me like it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> tell me about now I know you might not want to talk about this, but tell me about any kind of debauchery. I mean, now that you've found a peaceful place in your life, did you have any of those rock star things like drug issues or I mean I certainly horrible. don't want to talk about drugs. I'm I've been sober now for over 25 years. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I'm so grateful for that. And mm-hmm. so I just do not dwell in the past. Um, I The hardest thing for me is just still being that reliable person for myself and always remembering to do good things for myself. And, okay. So yeah. so we'll skip all that and say that, that the sex, you... Okay. I'll talk about it a little Okay. Bit. Let's talk about the sex. Well, one thing I think will <laughs> tickle you is that... Um, I had sex with quite a few gay guys, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, I knew they were gay, and they knew that I was straight and a woman, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we'd still play around. And one time that happened at a college radio station, and the band was there to give an interview. And one of the gay uh, DJs at the radio station snuck me in to another recording booth where no one would find us. Hmm. Um, and yeah, we messed around. I spent the night with him and my gay sound man the next morning was like, how the hell did you end up with them? He's gay. And I'm like, I know. What can I say? Just <laughs> wow. So you, you definitely have a type when it comes to men. You, you like uh, fem- more feminine acting men and can, can uh, I wouldn't say that necessarily, but I would say more sensitive men. Yes. Yes. Okay. And artistic and open-minded artistic, yeah. and, and playful, you know, I have a girlfriend who who she is so frustrated because she dates straight guys and they don't know anything about musicals. They don't know, even know how to pronounce the word chic. And she's like, what's wrong with these men? Um, and it's funny how people are attracted to certain types. I've got a I have a friend. He's a straight guy, but he's so attracted to lesbians. So you just <laughs> never know. You never know. It takes all yeah. kinds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. 
What happened with Romeo Void after you released the albums, the singles, you toured, and then you guys just disintegrated or made a decision to end it or? I think we just quit getting along. Yeah, that happens and a lot. And after being on the road and on the road and on the road and on the road, um, every, you know, each release came with, you know, six months of touring. The first year that we were out, we toured eight months out of 12. Uh. And it, the repetition of conversation and you just know how people are going to react to any given situation. So there's a, you know, and then you, none of them are your lovers either. So it's like, you know, it's frustrating as well. <laughs> were you always the only woman? Yeah. On the okay, so I have a friend, uh, a girlfriend who is in a band called the Scissor Sisters, okay. and uh, she was the only Not woman. Not the only woman. Oh, she was. Okay. She, she was the only woman because it was a primarily a gay band, and they right. toured a lot. And and one time she was like. I'm so sick of being around all these men. All they ever talk about is farting and uh, and sex, farting and sex, sex and farting. <laughs> so she's like, I need a woman on this tour. So um, it, it must have been a challenge to be on tour for that long with just, you know, no, no men and certainly no lovers, you know. Um, any memorable tour moments for you? Yes, um, there's a couple. Um, one was in Seattle. And the reason I'm thinking about it is because I read an article in the New Yorker that was recently published about somebody who got close to Kurt Cobain. And it reminded me of when we played Seattle and it was New Year's Eve and we played in this really big hall, you know, maybe 2,500 people and really kind of ornate old place building, like maybe a hundred years old at the time, maybe not that old, but close to it. Um, and it started snowing and there were windows at the top and you could see the snow falling and everyone was like, are we going to get snowed in? And we were just having this hot, sweaty concert, just giving it everything, you know, some nights you're on fire. And that night the whole band was on fire. We were playing like, you know, it was just the last thing we could ever do in life. And, um, you know, it was snowing, it was magical, and it was New Year's. Yeah, so that that was pivotal memory. Another memory I have is when we played a show with X, the band X, and it was Halloween night, and we were playing in a Grange Hall somewhere like in Corvallis. I'm not sure it was Corvallis, but I think it was, or the next town after that. Okay. <laughs> and it was amazing, and... Only us two bands were playing, so there was no third opening band. And so we all we both knew we were going to both play really long sets, you know, because that's the only thing happening. Two bands better play a long set. And the the promoter was actually some college kids. So it wasn't like some creepy performer, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, creepy promoter. Right, right. It's like kids, you know, who just love music and, you know, got a grain hall to have X and Romeo Lloyd play on Halloween. So we sent the tour manager out, our road manager, um, to the local pumpkin patch. And we got a pumpkin for every single band member and crew member of both bands. And we spent the time after sound check carving pumpkins. And then we got candles for them and we put them all on the front of the stage 
you know, so that was kind of memorable in itself that it was such a unique kind of gig. It was like in this Grange Hall out, you know, with cows and rows of plants and stuff, orchards. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Oregon. And it was just really cool. And we played first. And I remember just like coming back to the dressing room, soaked in sweat, but feeling so high. And I got to pose with vaccine and mm-hmm. I have the Polaroid still. That's what we did then. We didn't have TikTok or anything. We took a Polaroid and, <laughs> and you know, so I have like eight pivotal po- Polaroids from my life. Hey, Deborah, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about working with X. Well, John has always been super friendly and comfortable around other people and everything. Xine was more, you know, kind of off to herself and, you know, that's fine. You know, especially when you know a band's on tour and you've been on tour, sometimes you're just like, I'm going to go out to the band and read a book, you know? Mm. Um, but I, I've maintained a friendship with John over the years. I follow him on Instagram and, you know, he'll say encouraging things about my teaching or whatever. And I would go see them play occasionally. Last time I saw him play was at a casino down here at Casino Morongo. <laughs> oh, really? They played yeah, it was a really fun show. But I was there in the audience, like, waving, hi, you guys, you remember me? And they're like, oh, yeah, hi. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> here we oh. are after all these years. <laughs> oh, you know, side note is that I, I remember seeing you in line for Patti Smith at Slim's way back in the um, mid-90s. And I was recently at the Patti Smith show at Pappy and Harriet's. And I was like, I bet I see Deborah here. But I didn't. Um that was a really busy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had just had cataract surgery. Oh. And so I just couldn't go outside in the sand, you know. And oh, my yeah. sister was arriving to town. She was going to stay for a week. My husband was leaving for a week, so that's why she was coming to stay with me. And I, was, I had had the tickets since the day they went on sale. And then, you know, about five days before, I, I realized I can't go. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. It's only been one day since I had cataract surgery. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I don't that would think not this have been is good. What I should be doing? So. Yes, it's very sandy and windy over there. Yeah, but I I've seen Patty a lot. I saw her the last time in LA a few years ago at the Rialto Theater. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, she so. was yeah. She seemed very very mellow this time. It's like she's she's at a place in her life where she just seems very wise and very mellow, and you know. It was just great seeing her and her her, her son and, you know. Well, um, it was acoustic gig, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of exciting. It was fun. Um, now, Mark wrote something here about a parody band called the Mommers and Poppers. What's that? Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> before I was in Romeo Void, um, we had a band um, made up of a bunch of San Francisco Art Institute students mostly but also including the who would be the guitarist Peter Woods for you know from Romeo Lloyd. Um although he didn't go to the Art Institute, somehow he fell in with these people. And remember that movie about the band in England that played like Motown covers, the not the contractions, not the contortions, the starts with the C. Look it up on Google. Okay, <laughs> I'll I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Anyway, it was about a band. We were like that band, but before we'd seen the movie, the movie hadn't even come out yet. And we were like, let's just play. We did Boy from New York City. We did uh, 300 Pounds of Heavenly Joy. We did 
um, you know, just all these covers. And it wasn't strictly Motown. I mean, we did a Gene Pitney number, as I recall, and another one, Time Won't Let Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we just had a blast. And we just wanted people to dance again because we were getting tired of everyone just leaning on the wall in their black pants and black leather. Right, right, right. Too cool for school. Yeah, Yeah, I was getting tired. It was such a uniform and it was so like regimented, you know. Yes, it's the. And I was always against that, whether it was the Castro clone look. Remember Castro clones? Oh, God, yeah. Aren't you too young for Castro clones, though? But I mean, I've seen photos. You got the tail end of them. I've seen photos and, you know, and that moved into uh another look in the 80s for gay men and then in the 90s there was a a definite look and you know i i love of course my my gay community but sometimes for a community that says that there's that they're different and they they want to celebrate being themselves they do sometimes conform a lot to a certain look yeah Uh, i think it's very enforced yeah it's a it's a nonconformist uniform, so it's basically not even it's non it's it's conformist, but they anyway whatever. Well, uh, that's why we still need the sisters, right? The sisters yes. of perpetual indulgence. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, I was I was communicating with a sister um, flush from San Francisco, and I mentioned I was she was trying to hook me up to do a podcast with somebody who's doing podcasts on women musicians and. I said, well, actually, I'm doing a podcast on Sunday. And when I told her who you were, she was like, oh, he's huge. <laughs> was he calling me fat? No, just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, okay, moving on. So then Romeo Void disbanded. You released a solo album. Uh, you uh, got disillusioned with the record industry. You moved on to art. Yeah. Is that <laughs> is that correct? And now you are... An art teacher. Yeah, in high school down here in Coachella Valley. I teach art one. I'm the art one specialist. And I figured, well, part of the reason why is having doing preps for like two or three subjects in a day is like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And that isn't how I am. I like get a groove going and I want to keep it going, you know. And so art one is, you know, learning how to be a creator and also appreciating creations and the idea of creating and you know learning the basics of being able to discuss you know visual things and I really enjoy it I get a lot of ninth graders but then you know I get other grades too you know the senior who never took an art class is in my class now Uh so I enjoy it you said that you wanted to be the kind of art teacher that you never had when you were when you were in school, you 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 yeah. said you said because I, I I had a conversation with you last week and you said your art teacher was not at all uh, a mentoring or anything. No, um, I went home and on my own time I made this sculpture out of um, the wire from a hanger and different colors of crayons mixed in wax. And I created a figure that I could hang and I dripped wax all over it. And I brought it in so proud to show him. And he just said, if you're trying to be weird, you succeeded. Oh. And the one project that I thought I did the best on, I like got a B minus or something. And I was heartbroken because... I had tried so hard. Oh, that's <laughs> but I just awful. remember like I didn't like him. And he mm-hmm. would give us our lesson 
and just go back in his office and work on the same painting this entire year. Oh, God. And I was just like, what are you even doing? You know, he never did like live demos for us, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, here's the directions on a sheet of paper, you know. Right, right, right. Follow them and then I'll hate your work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how is it teaching now in the era of COVID? You are back with live students. I am. Well, uh-huh. I am completely relieved that I got my booster yesterday. Oh, yay. Because there is the underlying thing of like, we're running a virus factory here. You know, the kids, uh, many, there's numerous kids in almost every period that will not keep their masks over their nose. And I point blank asked a number of them, are you vaccinated? And they say, no. Uh. So it's just like, oh, so we've got the HEPA filter going, Mm -hmm. but we're not socially distanced at all. No. And everyone's wearing masks pretty much, but there are a couple people every period that aren't. And so, you know, and and what happens to a teacher is all of a sudden one day on the roll sheet, you know, because you do it on the computer and there's their photo, there'll be an H next to their face. And that means they're out for COVID, either contract tracing or they have it or someone in their family has it, which is contact tracing. And then they're gone for at least 10 days. And so I've had like five students since we started August 3rd so, who've been out for it. So wow. it's frightening. Yeah. And, and, and your school board, they can't mandate that kids get vaccinated? Well, Elliott County has. Uh-huh. Oh, but not but Riverside. But I don't think, or LA Unified has. Uh-huh. Not the county. County does everything to do with it. Each district is different. But, you know, the people who are anti-vax and anti-mask are very organized. And they, you know, they show up at the Zoom meetings for the school board, you know, because we do have a mask mandate. Right, so right. Oh, I see. required to wear masks in class. Uh, but, but, but not a vaccine. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I wish to do the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. And the kids, a lot of the kids that won't get vaccines, some of them want to. Like, I have this one student, he's like, my mom won't let me get it. And I said, I'm sorry. And he goes, yes, she doesn't appreciate science. And he's smart, you know. And he said, said, yeah, she gets her news from Facebook. Oh, no. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. He goes, yeah, as soon as I can talk to her into it, I'm going to get it. But... He should just run off and do it himself, but but maybe he's too young. I I don't know how that works with young people. Yeah, they do require care. Oh gosh. Signature. Well, so now you are living. You're at a you're at a place of you know. It seems like you're really happy in your life. You're living in Desert Hot Springs, very close to me. So we have to get together. We should. And uh, and uh, but still. I think music does call to you occasionally. I was looking at Google images and there were some pictures of you performing with Terry Nunn and Martha Davis. I'm sure that was. Yeah, a- that was 2010. <laughs> oh, so that LA was a while ago. Gay, LA Gay Pride. Yeah. But I also performed, I think, in 2014 out here with, uh, with Terry Nunn as well at the Palm Springs Gay Pride. Were you disappointed that she performed for Trump? Oh, the, the, there was some there was some thing that were where people were like were trying to cancel her because yeah. she, she performed for Trump. Yeah. 
Okay. I just, I was, I was just wondering how you felt about that. But, yeah, um, no good. I, okay. I, I quit going into the teacher's lounge the day after he was elected because I saw teachers celebrating the fact that he won. And I was like, I'm, I will not put my energy in any space that they're in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be you. around these people. I, re- I resent the fact that they're dealing with my students. Right, right, exactly. With those kind of views, and mm, yeah. Well, yeah. did you ever hang out with Frightwig back in the day? The band Frightwig. Yeah. Yes, and Susan for sure. The other ones I didn't know so much, but Susan I knew through friends of friends, and you know, for years. Okay, I, I just I'm close. And with Mia, D- I'm I'm closer with Dina. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering because you guys kind of were in the same uh venues right mm-hmm. and all that stuff i think it's a very interesting slice of san francisco history that mavuhe gardens era oh yeah. you know so um well we're just about the end of the podcast this has gone okay. by so quickly but i wanted to ask you the most important question that i always ask everybody on my podcast deborah Ayal, what is your favorite memory of heclina on stage when i saw <laughs> you that night at the stud uh-huh. And then also I do have to say that you were just so affectionate and sweet to me. Uh-huh. And I think I really felt out of the loop of the Bay Area because I'd moved away for a few years at that point and hadn't really been around. And I just remember just getting a super glow from your energy and your wildness and you know, your hosting and your performing and everything. I just thought you were you're everything you're awesome oh thank you it was so it was such an honor to have you up on my stage doing those Romeo Void songs that was such a great memory <laughs> for me uh well thank you for joining us um is there any is there anything you want to say about upcoming uh events you might want to plug or no I'm not really plugging anything these days just kind of enjoying I love it time. I love yeah. it. I love that you're at this stage in your life. And yes, one day at a time. I do. I definitely subscribe to that too. Well, thank you for joining us, Deborah Ayal. And thank you, Mark. Well, thank you both. It's been a pleasure.